You are back with the conversation. And, you know, in a normal year, uh, the Nobel winners would be scheduled to gather in Sweden December 10th to be honored with a traditional awards ceremony and dinner. We're not sure what's happening this year during COVID, but today we are grateful to have two curious minds, two of those scientists, two winners, to talk about their journey to the top. Biochemist Jennifer Doudna is a genome editing pioneer. She's a University of Hawaii Berkeley a California Berkeley professor and Hilo High School graduate. She's a co-winner of this year's Nobel Prize in Chemistry for her work with what's known as CRISPR technology. Congratulations, Jennifer. Thanks very much. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. Yes, I'm so glad to have you back on the show. And also joining us is astronomer Andrea Gez. She's a professor at the University of California, uh, Los Angeles, and director of the UCLA Galactic Center Group. She spent a quarter century studying the black hole. 20 of those years were using the Keck telescope on Mauna Kea. She shares the Nobel Prize for Physics with two other researchers. Congratulations to you, Andrea. Thanks so much. It's glad to have, I'm glad to have both of you on the show again. Um, and, you know, I should mention that we only have Jennifer Dowden until about uh, 10, uh, 1130. So if you have a specific question for her about her research or about breaking barriers, uh, we encourage you to call one eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine or email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. So, Jennifer, um, gosh, tell us, uh, you know, your reaction when you heard this news. Well, um, my first reaction was complete and utter shock. Um, I was, you know, awakened out of quite a deep sleep by a reporter who was calling, asking for my opinion about the, the Nobel. And I, I, uh, I realized I had missed some calls. I could see there were some messages on the phone. And I said, I, I just woke up. Uh, what's going on? I didn't have time to look at the news yet. And she said, oh, my gosh, you didn't realize that you won, you won the Nobel Prize. And uh, you can imagine someone telling you that at three in the morning. It's quite shocking. <laughs> And and so, what was it like for you, Andrea? Um, uh, similarly, just um, I was flabbergasted. Um, I was woken up by my home phone number, but um, so not a reporter. <laughs> um, but it's uh, it's thrilling, overwhelming. It's been uh, it's been a whirlwind. And so, it just must be a real kick in the pants. I mean, for your for your children, you know, to think, wow, <laughs> my mom rocks. Well, I have a, I have a, uh, this is Jennifer. I, I have a, a 17 year old son and uh, yeah, he's, you know, he's cool about it. He's, he's not over the moon, but, or he probably is, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't show me that. But um, I think he thinks he's cool. And Andrea, you have two <laughs> teenage sons as well. I'm just laughing because, you know, my kids are the same age group. Uh, I have a 15 year old and a 19 year old and the 15 year old said, wow. <laughs> <laughs> the nineteen-year-old had a few more words. <laughs> well, they're, you know, they're they're really thrilled. Uh, they're very sweet. Yeah. Well, I'm sure. Yeah, it's going to take a while for for this to sink in. I mean, I I can remember as a kid, you know, uh, studying in school about um, Marie uh, Curie, right? I mean, ab about her research as a scientist, as a physicist, and a chemist. Um, so yeah, your name's going to be uh, uh, you know in the history books. Both of your names. Amazing. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's extraordinary. Not something one ever plans on as a scientist, but it's, it's really, really exciting. Well, you know, at the beginning we talked about, you know, this prize and, and how it's meant to, you know, uh, really 
uh, award folks who have contributed to the good of all humankind. And and Jennifer, you're working on something now dealing with the COVID-19. Can you talk about that? Sure. Yeah, we are we are actively using CRISPR technology to develop a rapid test for for uh, the coronavirus, and we hope to have this ready to use in the next few months. Um, and uh, there's a very very active effort here in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, with a team of academic scientists working with many students um, at our universities who are trying to bring this uh, test to, to uh, the point of it can, you know, where it can be actually useful on our campus. So that's something that I've spent a lot of time on over the last few months. And very briefly, it works by taking advantage of the fundamental chemistry of CRISPR, which is a, it's a bacterial immune system. So what the heck? We're using it to detect the virus in patient samples. And this would be, what, an inexpensive way then to be able to, to test people. Yes, exactly. Inexpensive and fast. Now, uh, where is that in the process of being peer-reviewed? Well, um, there are uh, some manuscripts that are being either prepared or there's one that's in, in the sort of in the middle of peer review at the moment and has been made available publicly on the uh, preprint server called MedArchive, if anybody is interested. And um, um, importantly, this is something that we hope to use as a, a point-of-care test, so a way to test saliva or nasal swab samples from students and faculty at the UC Berkeley campus. And, you know, I don't know what it was like for uh, the two of you when you were growing up and, um, you know, messing around with science, where, you know, if you were you know, eight years old and said, gee, I want to win a you know, Nobel Prize for my work, or is it just the fact that you were just curious and uh, uh, just kind of followed your passion? Oh, gosh, this is Andrea. I, I was definitely not thinking <laughs> Nobel Prize when I was little. <laughs> I had no idea what I was going to do. So, yeah, I'd say just following uh, my passion. Yeah, same, this is Jennifer. Same for me. It's, it n never would have ever crossed my mind about winning a Nobel Prize. I just really liked chemistry and biology, and I, I have to thank my high school teachers at Hilo High School for, you know, instilling that curiosity about the world that I've pursued ever since. And I remember last time we talked, you you had said you remembered a lecture from someone who came over from the med school uh, from, in Honolulu uh, to Hilo to talk about, I think, breast cancer. And that kind of got you thinking along those lines. And uh, I was hoping that, that we would be able to track that person down. We've, we've not been successful. <laughs> so I apologize for that. But, uh, um, you know, when I think at the time we talked, it was shortly after uh, when we talked a couple of years ago, you know, there was the news that broke about the Chinese scientists that had started to dabble with CRISPR and used it uh, to develop, uh, I guess, there were a set of twins, designer children, and, and uh, he was highly criticized and I think fired from his job because of it. Yes, that's right. So, um, you know, this was, this was the, one of my my nightmare scenarios, honestly, about a technology that is otherwise so exciting and so promising, but also has risk and potential for misuse associated with it. And so when I heard about the work of this uh, scientist who had used CRISPR to change, alter 
DNA in two human embryos that were subsequently implanted and were born as twin girls. Um, you know, this, this seemed uh, like a really extreme misuse of the technology. Yeah, I can imagine you were probably aghast. Uh, I think everybody just was uh, taken aback that this was going on, and, and uh, you know, we weren't aware of it. Exactly. But I think, you know, the good news is that the international community responded to that event, um, I think, with appropriate outrage. And as a result, as you mentioned, the scientist himself, was, you know, was relieved of his position and, and I think has been has been punished. And and um, there's a very active international effort currently to make sure that that kind of misuse doesn't happen again. And I've not seen any updates on the twin girls or the third child um, that was involved in this case. Uh, you know, I, I know you serve on a committee that is looking, you know, to uh, improve the regulation of this technology. Um, have you heard anything more? I have not heard anything more about the health of those those girls, and certainly one hopes there that they are being uh, monitored appropriately. Um, but it's very hard to get information. I don't. I don't know of anyone that's been uh, in touch with that team. And then during your years, uh, as you were, you know, doing your research, um, I don't know. Did did you find that because you were a woman that maybe you had to work harder? Uh, you know, I just don't know what the the climate uh, was in the places where you uh, did your research. Well, I'm uh, th again. This is Jennifer. I'm, I'm interested in uh, Andrea's um, response to this too. But I, for in my case, I, I would say that I don't. I don't really feel that I was, you know, actively discriminated against. Although definitely there were times when um, I had naysayers, uh, you know, say, uh, well, you know, this this won't work out, or you, you probably won't be successful doing X, Y, or Z. But I think that's that probably happens. To everybody at some level. So I, I feel lucky that I had wonderful mentors, both men and women, at key moments in my life and my career when I had doubts about what I was doing and who were there to say, uh, keep doing it, you know, keep going and you're on the right track. And I think everybody needs that kind of um, advice and mentorship at key moments. And then you share the prize with um, another woman. Yes with Emmanuel Charpentier, my uh, collaborator. So she and I did the work together. We, we, it was a really fun, really wonderful project and collaboration, and I'm, I'm really delighted to, to be sharing this honor with her. And Andrea, um, talk about your experience. Oh, I think my answer is um, quite similar to Jennifer uh, in the sense that, um, you know, I guess I would say we live in a society that has certain ideas about what women and can or cannot do so you know it, it would be naive to think that you have one hasn't faced some naysayers um but um like jennifer i've had um the 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 privilege of being raised in a family that was very supportive and encouraging of me per, to pursue my interests um, and teachers and mentors along the way um I guess I would say, you know, they're, they're, um, they're at every stage of my um, evolution, there's always been, the, you know, somebody who's had the audacity to say, you know, no, no, you can't do this because you're a girl. Um, and I think that the thing that's, that's quite um, 
helpful about this having occurred so early in my life is that I got very used to ignoring um, when people say you can't do something. Um, so in my work, this has um, become quite an advantage because there were times when people didn't believe our approaches would work. And um, I was pretty well trained at that point um, to sort of dig deep and believe in myself and um, go forward if I thought I if I thought I could. Well, I think it's important to bring this up because this is the year where we celebrate, you know, the anniversary of the uh, the right uh, for women to vote. Um, we just saw the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, who, uh, you know, wrote about how she faced discrimination. I think she hid her pregnancy uh, to get, uh, a, you know, a job in uh, in law uh, because a lot of those jobs were not open to women um, early on. Uh, and you know it it i think it's just important to say okay you know what what can what can women do i think uh uh ginsburg had said you know i think when there's nine women on the on the supreme court that you know that's when <laughs> there'll be enough but uh you know you i guess you look at the the nobel prize winners and it's still you know a big deal when it's a woman yeah, Jennifer, well, I, I I feel that you know the, I I look forward to the day when it's not unusual to have women win the prize, or you know in our case with chemistry, not unusual to have only women receiving the chemistry prize, which is the first actually this year. And Andrea, um, yeah, I think it's it's super important to have role models. I mean, I, I think. Um, we're of the generation that we benefited from so many people who came um, before us. But I think to get the recognition at this level really opens the door to encouraging that next generation of scientists who are curious about the world. Well, if you're just joining us, this is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. You can be part of our discussion with our Nobel Prize winners by calling one 877 This uh, awards banquet that is traditionally held uh, in uh, in Sweden. Uh, what do you know about what's happening this year? I mean, are you going to be able to fly to Europe or not, uh, Jennifer? Definitely not flying to Europe. Uh, no, we, we will be receiving the award in a, sounds like a smaller ceremony in our local community. So I think there is a plan to have a small, um, some kind of a celebration at the um, Swedish consulate in San Francisco at some point, because we do have three winners in, um, in here in California um, this year. So that will be happening. And the other thing is that um, normally there are, uh, there are Nobel lectures get, that get delivered. And this is, for me, certainly one of the highlights every year of the Nobel Prize is hearing the Nobel lectures and hearing about the that you know is being done and is being recognized and this year the, the those um those lectures will be recorded and played i think it's december 8th um and um so i'm in the process of uh you know getting ready to record the lecture and and um looking forward to again of hearing hearing about everybody's science but of course having to do it virtually this year and andrea what, what have you been told uh, something very similar, um, that each country, um, they're working with um, the local uh, foreign affairs office. So the U.S. is sufficiently big that it sounds like they're going to be doing one in D.C. and one in San Francisco. So I'll be going out to San Francisco to join Jennifer 
um, and her colleagues at um, from Stan- and our colleagues from Stanford. Um, and- it's exciting, but um, you know, definitely not like any year that's come before it. Um, well, now you shared your award with uh, two men. Um, and I think when we last talked on the show, you talked about how you were in a race with the, another team uh, studying the black hole. So how did that work out? Oh, well, I'm delighted to be sharing this prize with my long-term um, competitor, Reinhard Genzel uh, from the Max Planck. And um, it's, uh, you know, competition is really good in science. It keeps you on your toes. Um, it allows uh, for different points of view. So I think over the 25 years that we've been at this, um, the science has really benefited from these two groups. Um, you know, it's a friendly competition, shall we say. Okay. Well, you know, uh, we had a shy caller on the line uh, who wanted to know um, who the role models of these two scientists are um, and uh, you know, wonders if, uh, that if you realize that, uh, you know, the two of you might be future uh, scientist role model as well. So who wants to go first on that? Go for it, Jennifer. Andrea, you go first. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, gosh. You know, role models. I was really fortunate. I was really interested in reading biographies um, of interesting women when I was in high school. So, in fact, I read quite a few on um, Marie Curie and Amelia Earhart. Um, so I think I was fascinated by strong women when I was young. And then um, in terms of role models, um, I had a wonderful high school teacher. She was one of my few female teachers uh, along the way in science. That was Judy Keene. And then um, in graduate school, um, one of my advisors was uh, Anila Sargent, who, you know, was just a a real uh, mentor and supporter and role model. Jennifer? Oh, very interesting. Well, in my case, I would have to say my father was, um, I don't know if a role model, but certainly he was somebody who was very dedicated to education and learning. He loved ideas. He, he was passionate about you know, discussing ideas. And he was a professor at the University of Hawaii. And, um, but he's not a, but, um, but my interest in science and through, you know, through my, my career until he passed away in 1995, he was always asking me what I was working on in the lab, and he really, you know, wanted to understand uh, the science that I was doing, which, you know, meant a lot to me, meant the world to me. So there was that. And then, uh, like Andrea, I had some incredible uh, teachers along the way. My, my high school biology teacher, Marlene Hapai, who uh, I'm still in touch with Marlene, and, and, you know, they were both very encouraging of my interest in science, and I'm eternally grateful for that. And then in college, my biochemistry professor, uh, Sharon Panasenko at, at um, Pomona College, as well as my physical chemistry professor, uh, Fred Greeman, again, were both very encouraging and supportive as I was trying to, you know, figure out if I could really do chemistry and, and you know, what kind of career I wanted to have after college. And, you know, I, I know we've only got you for a little bit here, but um, any, I don't know, final thoughts uh, that you want to just convey to our listeners out there or to, you know, a, a young mind, you know, uh, who's just interested in science? Well, I always like to point out that, um, you know, I grew up in Hilo, and, um, I, you know, nobody 
I didn't, I certainly did not know any female scientists when I was growing up. And so um, for me, you know, it was just, for me, it, you know, my interest was, was really just, you know, it was homegrown. <laughs> and, you know, I just, just loved, I knew I loved science. I wanted, I've always pursued my passion. So I, I, I like to point this out to students. I always felt like, you know, especially now looking back on it, I, I'm, I'm probably the, one of the least likely people to win a Nobel Prize in a way, um, you know, given, given, you know, sort of the, the, the background there. And so I, I just think that, that uh, it's, for, for young students that are starting out, it's a wonderful career. It's really fun, and you meet so many interesting people. It's international. I, I've had you know so many colleagues and friends now that live all over the world that makes my work very, very interesting. So I, I couldn't encourage students more. It's a wonderful, a wonderful life to pursue. And if there was anything that you could change in order to get you know more young girls. Uh, interested in going into these fields, you know, what would it be? I'd like to see more empowerment of people who have been traditionally underrepresented in science. And how do we do that? I, you know, I'm not sure, but my husband, Jamie Kate, who is a professor at UC Berkeley, like I am, has started a, a program for bringing in more undergraduates uh, at, you know, at the undergraduate level um, to explore the STEM fields. And I think this is really key, and those students, when they come to Berkeley, are given opportunities to work in some of the world's best research labs and have, have the joy of discovery and working with some of the, the world's great scholars and scientists. So we're hoping to expand that program, and in fact, that's how I will be using my no-milk money is to help uh, support it financially. Do you think we ought to start in the younger grades as well? I do. I think that's that's also very important uh, for sure. And, you know, making sure that kids know that um, there's a path forward. And like Andrea said earlier, I feel that the Nobel Prizes in a way are validating, you know, for 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 us, uh, certainly. And, and, you know, sort of showing students that their work will be appreciated and recognized at the highest levels, uh, no matter who they are or where they come from, if they do great work. All right. Well, uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, on your next trip back to Hawaii, um, uh, you're going to hear a lot from the community just, uh, you know, wishing you well uh, with uh, all your, your future work as you uh, try and come up with ideas on how to, how to battle COVID-19 and more. Uh, but we certainly thank you uh, for your time today. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Catherine. Great to talk to you, and, and uh, great to talk to you, too, Andrea, and congratulations. You, too. Bye. All right. Well, this is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. Our guests on the line have been two Nobel Prize winners with ties to Hawaii, uh, Jennifer Doudna, who uh, won for chemistry. Uh, astronomer Andrea Gez is still with us and will be joining us uh, when we come back right after a short break. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Matson For goods from ice cream to automobiles, providing ocean transportation to Hawaii since 1882. Matson.com. Hey, this is DJ Mr. Nick inviting you to join me in Generation Listen, an HPR project that connects younger listeners with the station and with each other. Think of it as a welcoming social club with unique and accessibly priced events, engaging conversation, and a diverse group of people. And right now, all of our events are virtual, so they're open to neighbor island people, too. Come join us, won't you? Follow us on social at HPR Gen Listen. 
Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Pacific and Asian Affairs Council, now offering college credit for public high school students across the state to learn about the United Nations Global Goals. Learn more at paachawaii.org. You are back with the conversation, and we have an, uh, with us today astronomer Andrea Ghez, a winner of the Nobel Prize uh, for her work studying the black hole. Uh, thanks so much for sticking around today, Andrea. My pleasure. You know, I have to tell you, when I woke up this morning, uh, you know, I have a view out my window and uh, there was a twinkling light in the sky. And I don't know, you know, if it was, uh, you know, Venus or Mars or a, a very bright star. But, um, you know, I just thought of the nursery rhyme. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. You know, how I wonder what you are. And, you know, it, it's, I think that curiosity, um, you know, that we try and, and, and nurture and foster in our children. You know, just to be curious about the world and, and wonder you know, how things work and why things are the way they are. I mean, do you remember thinking about that when you looked up at stars as a kid? No, oh, absolutely. In fact, I remember it was the early moon landings that got me looking up and thinking about um, the universe and understanding the scale um, and getting curious. Um, yeah, astronomy and astrophysics has a, has a the wonderful attribute of being accessible. Um, by lots of people. And I, I saw a clip online uh, this week that, that when you were little, you were thinking, oh, uh, maybe I'd want to be an astronomer or a dancer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was not um, singular in my pursuit of uh, math and science as a kid. Um, I had a lot of interest. Um, but certainly by the time I hit high school, I knew I had... Uh, a lot of aptitude for math and science and was interested um, in those fields. And is there anything that you would like to see um, to help nurture young minds? Oh, gosh, I've always felt that um, one of the most important thing is uh, visible role models, because I think if you can see people who look like you or who are different, the diversity, you know, a diversity of types of people that... Um, that encourages um, a diverse group of people into the into the field. Um, so I think visibility of a diverse um, group of scientists is, is super important. And uh, as far as maybe a program that you might have been involved in, you know, either in you know in high school uh, or in college, um, I don't know. Is there a shout out to uh, to anyone um, in any of those programs or something that you just felt really uh, helped you? Oh, gosh. Um, I guess in, um, in graduate school, I think is, uh, I, I actually set up with some friends, a big sister, little sister program uh, for women at Caltech, and it paired um, graduate uh, women with undergraduate um, women students. And I think that networks are, are really important. Just um, it's sort of it's just like one step up or down mentoring, um, you know, building those communities um, of support 
are is another important aspect of helping people succeed. I mean, helping anybody succeed. That that it doesn't matter if you're a minority or not in a field. Um, having that network of people who are who are supportive or that you can turn to for advice. And then when when you had your children, how was that juggling? Um, you know, a very a busy job. You know, with your research. Oh, there's nothing like um, being busy to focus your mind. Um, so you definitely cut out. You become very clear about what your priorities are. Um, so um, it just requires, I think, when they're little, a lot of discipline um, uh, in terms of how you juggle these different parts of your life. But I'd also say... Um, it also introduced me to people I wouldn't have come into contact with otherwise. I mean, I, I mean having kids is just an amazing uh, part of life. Um, and um, But e- even the way it interacts with you professionally, I think, is interesting. I sent my kids to daycare at UCLA, and um, through this daycare group, I came into contact with faculty across the university. And, you know, it inspired... Um, collaboration and networks that I would not have otherwise had. So it's like a lot of things in life. You know, every my favorite saying is every challenge is an opportunity. So um, I think I've grown a lot from um, just having these two different disparate parts of my life. Yeah, it really helps you with time management, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, does it ever. <laughs> You know, I, uh, looking back, I, I think when my daughter was young, you know, she was involved in dance, and, and that's, I think, the one thing that I miss now that she's grown up is, you know, the, the, the mothers that were there for all the dance programs. But, yeah, they're, they're just a, become a, a nice support system for you as you try and juggle, you know, career and raising children. And meeting people from really different walks of life. I mean, I think, you know, when we're in our careers, we tend to meet people who who are thinking the same way as uh, we do. So through the kids, you actually get out of your bubble. You know, when we were talking with Jennifer, you know, we talked about the ethics of uh, some of the research uh, that's being done, uh, you know, as a rift on the CRISPR technology. But how does that work for astronomy? You know, what are the ethical issues that uh, that, uh, you see out there in the field? I think in science and in anything, there's always ethical issues. There's ethical issues about how we deal with one another. There's ethical issues about how we deal with um, our data, um, ethical issues about, um, I mean, they're very, um, I mean, in her case, it's very uh, clear cut. Um, But I think overall ethics comes in, um, in a lot of different arenas. And I think the thing that keeps me focused and how, um, is just to focus on the science, to focus on um, you know, being true to trying to understand um, the scientific question that you're after, uh, because I think things get much more complicated when you get wrapped up in things like um, uh, recognition or who's first or a whole sort, all sorts of other very human um, sentiment. Well, I think when we you know, last had our discussion and you had just, I think, arrived, gotten off the plane, you arrived from California and we're heading up the mountain, I think, to go do some time on the Keck telescope. And you talked about, you know, uh, you had a, a competitive team 
also studying the black hole. Uh, and so I worried, you know, that, that, you know, does someone have to lose? Is, is it, you know, getting there first, getting the credit? You're very fortunate because, you know, your competitors are sharing in this award. Um, but, you know, how is it, you know, when you know that uh, so much time and energy is vested in this research? Oh, gosh. Well, I guess I have a couple things to say. I mean, I feel very grateful that the Nobel uh, Prize Committee recognized the contribution of both groups um, because the two groups have really um, worked very hard and very long on this. Um, but I guess in science, I don't, I don't see that there are losers in this um, because what you're after is an understanding and um, you know, we're, I, I just feel incredibly fortunate to be um, able to work on these questions, to be able to do research that moves our understanding of, of science forward, to be able to train the next generation of scientists in um, how one approaches um, basic science. And then what does this prize mean? Uh, I don't know if that gets you more time on the telescope or not. <laughs> Oh, it's an interesting thing. I mean, what it, you know, literally what it means, of course, is that um, your your work is honored and highlighted. So the importance of a certain area of science is highlighted. The technology that goes into it is highlighted. So I, I, I'm, I'm very excited about that. Um, I think it gives you lots of opportunity to pursue the work further. Um, you know, take that work to the next level of scientific discovery. Um, so I'm excited both about the opportunities and um, and also just the responsibilities that come with this kind of um, recognition. I think one has a um, an obligation to to be um, a good steward uh, for science uh, um, and and the encouragement of that next generation. So do you have other proposals uh, already in the queue uh, to spend more time on tech? Uh, yes, I have lots of proposals in the queue for the future of tech. Um, so tech is, you know, tech is just an amazing facility. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm excited about, uh, I've, I've actually got one that's under review now, so I'm certainly hoping um, that it will be accepted. Um uh, and I'm also excited about the future of the 30-meter telescope. I mean, I know it's um, certainly it's a controversial um, project in Hawaii, but I also hope that um, that we find a path forward, um, find a path that uh, recognizes um, the the various. Uh, viewpoint. It's complicated. It's like science. It's complex, and it's important to have those um, hard conversations to figure out how to um, do things um, in a way that's, that's, uh, that works for everyone. And I think when we last talked, you mentioned that we had a Hilo boy that was working on your team, uh, you know, uh, which is great. Yeah, I'm so thrilled. Devin Chu, he, um, he in fact just graduated this summer. He did a fabulous job with his PhD, and now he's a postdoc in the group. Um, and it, it, was, uh, it was such a treat to have somebody who grew up in Hawaii on the team. I think he gave us insight into Hawaii um, that we hadn't had before. Uh, 
And I guess, you know, what would you like to say, you know, because if you've com been coming here for 20 years, you know, you know, the the uh, the tension that has been building, you know, with, uh, you know, the native uh, Hawaiian community, a number of folks feel very strongly about, you know, what should or shouldn't be up on the mountain. I, I guess, um, you know, I've been coming out to work on the top of Mauna Kea since 1994. And it's interesting because as technology has progressed, uh, it's now possible to observe from the mainland. But I feel really strongly about continuing to come to um, Hawaii to do the work because that's the only way that you um, help yourself understand what's really happening in the community and to get a sense and things um, obviously the sentiment has changed a lot over the course of the last 25 years um, but I guess like science I think it's important to have hard conversations um, because that's how you get to a greater understanding um, so I guess I welcome I welcome the hard conversations um, I, I want to understand and I want to be a um, a um you know part of figuring out um a solution yeah i know the groups are are some are concerned because they're saying you know in, in some stories they're painted as being anti-science and they say that's not it you know um but have you yourself been involved in any of those community discussions i've been involved in some discussions um uh, and I've certainly been part of the 30-meter telescope project for a long time. In fact, I can remember I joined it when I was pregnant with my oldest son. Um, so it's been a it's been a long journey, um, and I think the project is 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 super interested in understanding and has um, again I, you know I, I I obviously hear more on one side than another, but I have been interested in. Um, hearing and hearing the complexity and the evolution of the complexity because um, you know we live in a world that's constantly evolving and so you know what worked 50 years ago may not um, work today um, so I mean I guess that's a, a long way of saying um, these are hard conversations it's important but it's important to have them and important to listen all right. Well, this is the conversation. We are talking with Nobel Prize winning astronomer Andrea Ghez. Uh, do you have a question about STEM or about girls in science? Join the discussion by calling us 941-3689 or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. We'll be right back after this break. Support for HPR comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art. The new exhibition, Okalani, features works by Native Hawaiian artists Sean K.L. Brown and Imai Kalani Kalahele through January 3rd. HonoluluMuseum.org. On the eve of this election, there's another one the people of Wilmington, North Carolina, will never forget. Even though it may not live consciously in your mind, your body remembers it. White supremacists turned machine guns on black residents to take back power. It's the only successful coup d'etat in this country. An American coup d'etat on the next Reveal. Beginning this evening at 7, following Bite Marks Cafe. 
Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from YWCA of Kauai with a confidential hotline for domestic violence or sexual assault at 245-6362. Also, online chat and texting support accessible at ywcakauai.org. We're back with the conversation. This is Catherine Cruz. Today we have us, uh, uh, joining us today is Andrea Gez, uh, who won a Nobel Prize uh, for her work with the black hole. And so, Andrea, my understanding is that what you have been able to study, your research has kind of confirmed Einstein's theory of relativity. Yeah, um, so what we've done is to come up with the best evidence to date for the existence of the supermassive black hole and uh, supermassive black holes, which is um, black holes are one pr- uh, prediction of Einstein's theory of general relativity. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the, the evidence has increased uh, from this work by a factor of 10 million. So it's not just a, it's a, it's a, it's an enormous step forward. And so... As far as the the time on the telescope that you folks have have uh, spent, you know, you had mentioned that some of this can be done remotely, and I did see a video online where, yeah, you've got you know classes set up with all the computers, and and you can, and uh, you know, you, you're able to use the, the the data that you can see on your screens. It's true. <laughs> um. So there's also, I mean, we, we used to go to the summit for collecting the data, then it was Waimea, and now um, we can do it from home. Are there any drawbacks to that, though? Oh, yeah. Um, so I'd say each place has pros and cons. Um, so I would say um, the, the way we observe today, which um, is often from UCLA, um, has the pro that you can involve many more students. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it has the pro of being um, a great way of involving and training more students than you would otherwise train. But of course, you're not um, getting them to Hawaii and um, getting them more deeply connected to the community and more deeply connected to the technology. So that's the drawback of not going to Hawaii. So we try, we, we, we maintain a, a combination of going out to Hawaii and, um, and, and UCLA. We try to get the best of both worlds. You know, with the physical distancing uh, that we're having to do here because of COVID, you know, I think they have reduced the number of scientists um, that are uh, going up and down the mountain or even at the Waimea facility. Yeah, uh, tremendously. So it's been a huge impact on um our ability to work, um, but as um, but the Tech Observatory has done a, an amazing job in um, uh, making it possible for us to continue to collect data even through these um, difficult times. And we do have an email from uh, a listener, Francine from Kula. Uh, she writes in um, that she appreci- appreciates how the show uh, is helping to encourage young minds into STEM. She wants to know how STEM involvement in, in our youth, especially our young girls uh, and women, 
has changed from when you know you were getting into the field. Can you talk about that, Andrea? Sure. Um, you know, I think it's interesting in terms of looking at the um, ebbs and flows of, of social change. Um, I feel like I grew up at a, a time when there was a, a lot of emphasis on, you know, it was kind of that, that, that moment of you can, you can do anything. And I almost feel like we st- took a step back <laughs> from that um, and became more, more conservative. But today, um, there's a tremendous investment and consciousness of the importance of encouraging um, diverse groups of, of scientists into the field and a lot more invested in um, giving access um, to the next generation to help them understand and explore their, their own interests. Do you think there should be, I don't know, more scholarships, you know, to get kids involved in, say, in, in summer space camps or, uh, you know, that kind of thing? Oh, that's interesting. Um, you know, I, I, I just think that, you know, there, there are just a number of, uh, you know, public and private schools here in Hawaii that if they had, uh, I don't know, uh, an expansion of what's out there uh, to be able to interact with scientists like you, you know, that that might, uh, you know, like I said, raise the profile of, of uh, the role models that are out there. Yeah, I actually, you know, it's sort of funny that you asked this. I actually have some um, mixed feelings um, because there's so much pressure these days on kids um, to know what they want to do and to grow up fast in a sense. Well, grow up sort of intellectually fast. And I almost um, think that um, there are a lot of things that can help kids um, thrive in the competitive world. Um I guess with my own kids, I haven't been overly anxious to get them involved in these um, programs because I want I want them to be kids and to fully explore um, their you know life as a kid, and including sports. I think sports is actually such an important part of um, kids' development. It's one of the few arenas where kids really learn how to struggle um, and fail and play again. You know, in academia, we're so focused on, um, there's such a focus these days on getting good grades. And there isn't really a mechanism for kids to learn how to do some serious face plants and recover or recover from them in a, um, in a way that um, sports does actually so well. Um, so while I think those, those, those programs are, are wonderful, I also have a certain um, wariness of, of forcing kids to um, almost to choose too early. It's almost like don't don't forget to fully be a kid and explore, you know, what you what you like to do. Yeah, maybe if the, if the way to to frame it is, you know, it's a dress. Try it on. You know, I might not yeah. fit. You know, but at least <laughs> at least you 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 know can experience you know or get a sample of of, of what it's like. Know what you like and yeah. don't like. Absolutely. I mean, those programs are great, um, and I think um, they're they're especially great at the college level when kids have enough of a background um, 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 to get to get involved in in the research. You know, I was reading an article where someone said you take the twinkle out of stars. What did that mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
also um, the atmosphere in the Earth's atmosphere um, blurs our images of astronomical sources. So large telescopes in particular, um, in principle, can um, can see fine detail except for the um, blurring effects of the Earth's atmosphere. And so I work on technologies that um, um, allows you to overcome the blurring effects of the Earth's atmosphere, or I guess romantically, you can say it takes the twinkle out of stuff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, well, I think uh, the the both of you, you know, with Jennifer Doudna and yourself, that you 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 have sparkle. Uh, you know, obviously, you wouldn't have uh, risen to the level uh, where you're at today. Um, was there anything that you think that your parents did to kind of uh, nurture your interest in science? Absolutely. My parents were both um, very supportive. Um, and then um, I, I remember particularly my dad um, loved to um, um, create almost math po- problems, well, math problems and logic problems. They were just puzzles. Um, and for me, that was an early... Um, encouragement into these fields. So it was fun. It was just an I- inquiry-based um, uh, thing. Um, but I, I feel very, very fortunate to have grown up with parents and teachers who, who were incredibly supportive of, of, of my interest. So are they still around? Well, what did they think when you, know, you, you won the prize? Oh, well, unfortunately, my father passed away, but my mom's still alive, and she was, you know, she's just thrilled to bit. She's definitely the proud mom, and she's, you know, such an inspiration um, to me. I'm really, um, I feel very fortunate. And do you think uh, one of your, one or both of your sons will, will go into science? I have no idea what they'll do at the end of the day. Um, my oldest son is currently in engineering. Uh He's interested in renewable energy at the moment, but, you know, life is long. You never know where your kids are going to end up, but I really want to I really want to encourage them to find their find their own passion. Yeah, I guess that, that's the best advice, right? Find your passion and, and then just go for it. Um, gosh, so then are you going to be ready for December 10th and, and uh, you know, the big ceremony? Um, I know it's it's not it's not Sweden. It's not Sweden, but I'm not complaining. I'm so thrilled. I think I have no uh, doubt in my mind that they'll find an interesting and creative way to celebrate um, the occasion. Okay. And any final thoughts? We probably have about a minute left, but... Um, uh, Nothing except I feel incredibly grateful and privileged to have worked for 25 years uh, on Mauna Kea. It's it's just an amazing place to work. And uh, uh, how soon do you think you might come back? Will it be before the end of the year or, or next year? Oh, I'm hoping this coming spring if, if uh, things are back under control with COVID. All right. Okay. Well, we certainly appreciate your time today. Uh, we'd also like to thank uh, Jennifer Doudna, uh, who has won the Nobel Prize uh, for chemistry, uh, both women with ties to Hawaii, and we've uh, appreciate their time today and we thank you the listener for joining us on today's show any thoughts about uh, today's discussion you can still contact our talk back line and leave your comments that number 808-792-8217 you can also send us an email at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org and if you want to listen back to today's show check out the conversation podcast at hawaiipublicradio.org I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of the conversation.